Well, my name is Shane, and my pronouns are he, him, and she, her. My name is Michael, and my pronouns are he, him. And welcome to The Elephant in the Closet. name of this episode is the dark ages this is our third episode and this is this uh series is all about our journey together as uh me a post-evangelical pastor and me a queer nephew of his um and the way that this journey has changed our world the goal of our podcast is that uh, we want to make sure that we are learning to proudly love who we are and learning to love others inside and out and the way that they deserve to be loved and also learning how to love from the one who created love in the first place. We also want to make sure that we give... Um, Trigger warnings. Yep. If, if you're listening, you got a kid near you, we're not going to be inappropriate, but we always say, just make sure you listen first before you have them listen with you. And some trigger warnings here are... Um, abandonment issues mm -hmm. and uh, also religious abuse. And today, we are talking about, well, our journey and <clears throat> our relationship after you came out. All right, well, last week we left off... Uh, basically with you, we're getting to the moment where you came out. And at that time I was working, um, as a children's pastor at a local, pretty large church out here, non-denominational church. And you were a key volunteer. And not only that, I mean, you're my best friend and also my nephew who is more like a brother. So I feel like this is kind of important to say, just like for others to kind of see like how, um, how close we, we actually are. We would watch movies all the time. We'd go out to, we'd go out to a movie. It didn't matter if it was a stupid movie. Oh, we would make it fun no mm. matter what. Yeah, it was like mystery science theater or riff tracks. <laughs> if anybody listens to those, that's that's what it's like watching. It's actually pretty painful for anybody else who's around us when we watch a movie because we just laugh at it no matter what. Like the, oh. yeah, the 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 sadder it is, the scarier it is. Like the more we laugh at it. Because we just make fun of everything that goes wrong in the movie. We make fun of writing. We make fun of cinematography. We make fun of everything. Not because we, we can pull it off. But, <laughs> but we have fun with it. Yeah. It's great. Make my potatoes a salad. Yeah. Well, movie quotes all day long. That is what it's like being around us. Um, so, again, when we talk about me being... I mean, our relationship is uncle and nephew. That's not how you should see us. You should see us as siblings because he's not much younger than me. And we grew up in the same house. So when you came out and I was working at the church, um, we talked about this last time, but I was devastated because I knew everything was going to change for you. Also, like my worldview at that point had no room for you. It had no room for, for anybody to be a follower of Christ and also be openly gay. We were not taught that that was a possibility. We were taught that that was basically impossible. Nothing else in the world would be impossible. Only that. We ended up not talking, right? So Six you, months. Yeah, because you, you graduated, mm -hmm. which was kind of the catalyst for, for all of this, too. You know, you mm -hmm. know going out into your your life and living yeah. your life as now basically an adult. Because I had no room for that and because it was really easy for me to hide in the busyness of my job because that's a whole different kind of busy working for a big church like that. Like mm -hmm. They make it really easy for you to <clears throat> fit your life with a bunch of stuff for one hour a week. Because of that and because of everything else... I didn't talk to you and you disappeared from all of our lives. 
Because, right? I, I do kind of want to make this part clear, though. I went invisible, yeah. but nobody else could yes. see me. I was still there. Yes. You um, didn't, like, fly out to Florida. Right? Yeah, I didn't, like, oh, y'all didn't accept me and bye. It was more of, like, a, okay, I'll, I'll give you all time to process and didn't have that for myself. Mm-hmm. And, like, that's that was the biggest thing is, like, I needed time to process mm-hmm. this. But I, I didn't want to process this alone. Mm-hmm. It's hard. It's very hard in general because, like, you're just put in this spot where you do have to grow up even faster in that way. Mm-hmm. It's just like, well, this is life. This is how things are going to be. And I have to figure this out myself. Mm-hmm. And certain family members, uh, you know, didn't talk to me. Certain friends didn't want to have anything to do with me either. Then I had some friends that were absolutely amazing that were there for me after I came out. But it was still alone. Yeah, yeah and... So I think mm-hmm. at first, in my mind, in some way, I was able to justify not reaching out because the thing that we had had in common, like the the centering piece of our relationship at that moment, because we didn't live together mm-hmm. at that time. You yeah. lived with your mom. Um, <clears throat> it was church. And, and it was church, mm-hmm. right? That was the thing that we, every weekend was rall- we were rallied around that. It wasn't like, it was just church. Like, it was also my job. So mm-hmm. it is interesting how encompassing that kind of role and that kind of church and that kind of movement could could be. So in my mind, I was able to, I think I was able to justify that. You know, hey, I still have to do my job. still have to make money. I still have my community. I still have. Uh, so I think for a while, I was able to dig my head into the sand. I also think like I didn't want people to know because I didn't want them to think poor of you. So I didn't talk about you. I knew you to be good. You know, I knew you to be joyful I knew, like you didn't fit the mold for me because i knew you still had a relationship with with christ even if it looked different mm-hmm. i had no one to talk to you about that either mm-hmm. because there was no way to look at it differently and every single person in leadership above me um even in our own family like no one had walked down this road and to be honest i was mad i was mad and not even mad at you because i understood why you came out you made that very clear i was mad because no one in the church i felt like no one in the church had given a good response no one took the time everything was just shoved to the side and in almost every book i read it was like oh no this is just wrong that's just how it is there were some people who had uh, at that point had come a little ways with their discussion i think tony campolo and some others had had made a little bit of progress, but still, at the end of the day, it was just, we were told this is how it is, and there's no other alternatives, and it didn't sit well with me. Mm-hmm. And I, w- I remember thinking one night, like, I was pissed. I was like, gosh, I wish someone else would have had the courage to step into this conversation. And not not, not like, woe is me, but it was more so like, <clears throat> I didn't feel adequate to. But really what it was, like, oh, I had training, I just now disagreed with my trailer. <laughs> I was in a place where everything I had been taught was now thrown into the air and I didn't know how to deal with it. So I think my response was, well, I'm just going to continue to do the thing that I knew how to do. Run a program on a weekend. Make kids happy on a weekend. You know, teach them a story about Jesus that I believed in. Mm-hmm. All the while thinking like there are some there are some serious issues within the church that I could no longer ignore and keep my humanity (laughs) yeah so what was it like um besides that part like not talking to me 
personally, it was crushing because, like, yeah, I'm an introvert. I, I mean, I guess I have a lot of people surrounding me. I always have a lot of, I mean, just this one thing about the church, like, that I still love is that it brings you community. Mm-hmm. If you invest, usually people invest back in you. And that's kind of how community works anyway. It's not just the church that owns this. But I had a solid community, but at the same time, like, I'm an introvert. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, like, as a pastor, as someone who works at a church, most people don't really know us very well. They think mm-hmm. they know us well just because we're on a stage or because we're... It's I, Mr. Michael. It's yes. Mr. Shane. Right. Exactly. Like, I know them. You know this. Uh, yeah. But yeah. So what they see on Sunday, I think there's just a lot of people who feel like they're more familiar or knowledgeable about who we are than who mm-hmm. we actually are. For you to be gone... I mean, the last three years, every weekend you were with me. Yeah. And for that to be gone, like, personally, I felt that in a huge way. Yeah, it's, it was a lot. That's where I really felt close to Papa. And and she was amazing and made me feel comfortable and letting me know that I was loved and that there was nothing wrong with me and that I was beautiful inside and out Mm -hmm. and that this is a beautiful piece of me that is not wrong. We're taught to, you know, listen to the Holy Spirit because, like, if he tells you something and you hear that voice and, like, you'll know. But when you tell somebody, you're like, I felt that. Like, yeah, but did you really feel that? What? So what are you saying? Like, you're, you, we were raised within the church to think that we could hear from the Holy Spirit, you know, to believe that we could hear from God's Spirit. But your <sighs> viewpoint was questionable because it didn't line up with someone else's. Is that what you're yeah. saying? Okay. So it's like, well, I don't really think that you're talking with God. That might be Satan. Mm-hmm. Because Satan would tell you that was right. Mm-hmm. Or Satan would tell you that you're okay with who you are and that you don't need to change. Like, if it was anything positive, queer, that's actually Satan's voice. It's not God's voice. <laughs> Which is fascinating because... I don't know many other things that we apply that to with such, you know, veracity, I guess. Yeah. Or, or for, for us, I don't know why I just said ferocity. We listen to the voice to get a better car, you know, to pay more mm-hmm. for than what we need for a vehicle. We listen to that desire and we don't mm-hmm. say that that's Satan talking to us. Or, you know, we buy our, our second or our third house. Mm-hmm. We don't tell people that maybe that wasn't Jesus telling you to do that. You know, maybe that was just went to the Salvation Army today and I got myself a hat for a quarter. That was absolutely (laughs) Jesus telling me to do that today. Or like that when we want to eat that second piece of pie, you know, and... (laughs) Jesus wanted me to have this. (laughs) Right, right. So I don't know. I think it's very inconsistent on how we approach that. Yeah. Anyway, we could talk about that at some point. And by the way, it's for those who heard him say Papa. Who is Papa to you? In case they missed the first couple of Oh, yes. Uh, Papa is uh, the name that I have for, for God. It comes from the book, The Shack. Um, there's a lot that I can, you know, resonate with. Mm-hmm. Tell me what it was like for you when I closed you off. It was like being thrust inside of a room full of doors. And around in the room on top of the doors, there was a light. And all the doors were open. And as I'm looking... Um, each door represented like someone from the, my family and the door would slam shut. And right when it slammed shut, the light would burst out. And so it was like slam, burst light out, slam, burst light out, slam, burst light out. And I'm turning and I'm seeing it all happen real fast all at once. I had no idea I was trapped. And I see your last door without hesitation. It was slammed shut. I was 
trapped in darkness with no way out. Mm. Papa was pissed. <laughs> Ain't anybody going to leave his child in that dark room? And I was very scared. I, I know we kind of talked about that metaphor before, but like, there's something about it where it's just, um, I mean, trigger warning, we're getting into heavy, heavy, like abandonment issues where it's, you were my best friend. I wasn't there anymore. This word defined me. No one could see anything past that word. I was no longer Shane anymore. Mm-hmm. I was, I was gay. And including on some people that took more of a positive look, there was still like, oh, well, you're gay and Shane. And I know that we've come like this is this is why we're doing this podcast mm-hmm. is because our growth together and how much stronger we are. So we talk about the Dark Ages a little bit. And to clarify, when we talk about the Dark Ages, it is those six months that you and I did not talk at all. And we didn't talk about those six months, even after, you know, after those six months when we got that relationship, it was years later until we were able to talk about that. And I brought that back up to you. Do you remember when I asked you when we brought it up, like it was time to bring it up because we were both in a spot where I knew that I, when I asked you this, I wasn't holding things against you, Mm -hmm. but we needed to bring it up. And those types of conversations are going to be hard no matter what. You have to talk about the moment to truly move past it because there's going to still be that if. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm hoping that people have gathered this, but if you're listening to this and you haven't heard me say it, I very much regret my response. And I can't take those, I can't take those months back. I wish I could. Um, I also am trying to give myself grace because I knew of what I grew up in. And how much of my life was wrapped around um, what I knew from church and what I experienced in church. And and does it excuse it? No, but it makes it understandable, I think. And I also think, like, you were the one who brought it up years later. Like, I was the one who had to tell you. You were my family and mm-hmm. my friend and my volunteer. And I had to be the one to look you in the eye and say, after you had reached the point where you felt comfortable enough to let uh, let us know who you mm-hmm. are. Our response was immediately, I'm sorry, you can't be a part of this community anymore. You can't sit with us. Right. There's a whole Bible story about that with Peter, but we can talk about that later. (laughs) Um, And the thing is, like, I wanted to be the one to tell you, too, which is so messed up about this, because I knew I also couldn't trust the people above me to see you in the same way that I saw you. And I was afraid that they would say something even more damaging to you than what I was going to have to tell you. So the whole situation, like looking back, like that's screwed up. Like that is screwed up. At at one end being, you know, the things that we teach about Jesus and the things that I still believe about Jesus and about love and acceptance and all of this. But then on the back end or on the other hand, you know, you have this. So you had, as a teenager, as a, in your late teens had reached the point where you wanted to be honest. And the response from the church is that, I'm sorry, you know, you can't be you here. You've got to change this. There's a lot of other people we're not telling them they need to change anything, especially if they got money, because we need that money. Mm-hmm. Um, but we will tell you this. Going back to when I I asked you about the Dark Ages and yeah. like, why oh, yeah, did you, you do that? One, you were the one to bring that up, by the way. Like, yeah, and when I did, I made sure to let you know that 
it wasn't because I'm angry. It was time to talk about it because this mm -hmm. was safe. Yeah. It was so safe for both of us. But I wanted to let you know I'm not going to leave you when you tell me how you were really feeling at that time. Yeah. But thankfully, it didn't stay that way. I don't remember what happened. Do you remember why we started talking again? Because I honestly, I, I don't remember. You had a story. You woke up in a, a sweat, you told me. Um, because there was a certain Bible story that you felt like God smacked you across the face. That's like, right. I had that dream. <laughs> it's like Moira Rose smacking you. Oh, man. I had, well, I'm okay with people believing what they want. I know sometimes people knock the thought of God speaking to people in a dream. And I'm, am I going to say like, oh, God spoke to me? I mean, no one can actually claim that. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes I think maybe if we don't spend time processing during the day, then eventually our brain will force us to process what we need to at night. Um, or... Maybe God forces us to speak. You know, I mean, it forces us to listen in our dreams because we didn't want to take time to deal with stuff during the day. Like, I think there's ways to explain this. But um, okay, so I had a dream. There's this. Did you have a dream? Shut up. Uh -huh. <laughs> Let me rephrase that. <laughs> so there was one night that I had a dream about um, one of the Bible stories from the New Testament involving Jesus, and it was the one where they brought this woman to him he was teaching and some of the the religious leaders the conservatives of the day brought um they brought this woman to him who had been caught in adultery which side note interesting fact they didn't bring the man people love to cherry pick don't they mm -hmm. oh they just brought her and so they brought her in front of jesus because the law says the bible says you have to stone her flat out says it you have to kill her um actually again it says they had to kill both of them but you know who's counting um, so you have to kill her. And so everyone comes in to watch to see if Jesus was going to abide the law, abide by the law, right? That he claimed to teach and some, and eventually claimed to fulfill like all of those things. Like, are you going to do what God says you have to do? And what does he do? You know, they, they, they had, def they had defined her by something they saw as a sin. They had to find her by actions. They had to find her by all of these things. They didn't see who she was. And I think so many times we think about, like when we talk about the mob with their rock, with the rocks in their hand, but it, Kill it, the beast. it, it, it dawned <laughs> on me, like the main character of that story isn't even Jesus. To her, she was the main character of that story. Mm -hmm. So he, so Jesus shows up, even though they are literally using the Bible to condemn this woman. You know, their version of the Bible, which was, the, you know, the Torah, the Old Testament. Jesus still sent them away. He said, look at your own sin. If you don't have any, then you can throw the first stone. I love the detail that the older left first. They'd had enough sin in their life that they're like, oh, yeah, no, I've, I've, I've sinned too. And they all leave. Like, one by one, they drop the stones in their Because hands. he just started writing it now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He was, like, scribbling. Now, there's ideas of what Jesus was scribbling in the sand. Some people think... Maybe he was writing sins out, but we don't see what he was writing in the sand. And it's just Jesus and her, right? And what does he say? He tells her her sins are forgiven, and which is fascinating to me because we are to, we were told growing up, there's penance, there's <clears throat> repentance. You have to, you know, claim, I mean, ask all of this forgiveness first. But Jesus gives it to her without her even asking for it. Should she pray that prayer? I didn't know. <laughs> there was no prayer, you guys. There was no... John 3, 16. The Romans road. They weren't, they hadn't prayed it. Hebrews 13, 1. <laughs> oh my gosh. So then, you know, so then he restores her and sends her on her way. Like he didn't define her by anything other than who she actually was. 
and yeah, I woke up and I was like, oh my gosh, like this is what is happening. Regardless of what our beliefs are about whether or not someone is sinful in their life. Well, it's almost more dangerous, I think, the way the church approaches it, because Mm -hmm. they come in with their rocks hidden behind their back, you know, one arm extended, and they're like, hey, we love you, you're welcome here, and then they got a boulder in their hand they got to hit you in the head with as soon as they hug them, right? So, (laughs) that's probably a little graphic, but there's still this idea that, okay, if you do think that sin, you need to first, you need really just worry about you right now, because the goal is for them to, to know who Jesus is. And, oh, and it, just for the record, uh, I want to be very clear that I am um, 100% affirming for the LGBT community. Like, and I do not believe that it is sinful. And that that's going to get its own conversation. It's going to get its own topic. But I just want to make sure that it's very clear that nobody <laughs> nobody thinks I'm also one of those people holding the rock behind my back. Like, I, I'm not. I think that every single human being has the ability to come and know Jesus for who they are. Yeah. I think Christians have a lot of listening to do. I agree. One of my favorite quotes from one of my favorite musicals, Into the Woods, one of the best life lessons that you could ever learn. Nice is different than good. Just because somebody is nice to you doesn't make it good. Mm -hmm. Doesn't make them good. Yeah. So after that dream was when I, that was when I called you. Did I call you? Yeah. Text you? I don't even remember. No, you called me. I did. I was shocked. I was, I think it was at a friend's house or something. I was like, I have to take this. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't heard from him in six months. <laughs> I, I was not at the point where I was confident in saying that I was affirming at that point. No, you were frazzled. It, again, because I was in a world where things are not, you cannot question. There are some churches out there that will say that you can question things and you can doubt things. And it's okay to bring your doubts, but they don't actually mean it. Mm-hmm. You know, or they mean it. Um, as long as it's not this, 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 and this. Like, it's very guarded. Mm-hmm. I was not sure what to do with anything. All I knew was I missed you because you're my family. If you don't know where to start, I'm sorry to cut you off, but no, you're good. if you don't know where to start, you are not sure how you feel about things on either side, start off with remembering love. Mm-hmm. Why do they matter to you? What is the thing that you connect with them with. Are they a brother? Are they a sister? A son or daughter? Who are they to you? You have to start off with that first. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't remember the root of love, you're just going to listen to the rules that others tell you. When we reconnected, I honestly had no idea how to do that. (laughs) Um, And I mean, some of that was like just asking you about about your life, you know, and you had started to date people too. And I would ask you questions about that. I think the thing for me, like I had to realize unless I was able to see it the way I would with any other person in my life, then I wasn't going to be able to learn from you. Why would I hold back on my normal questions? Like if you were 20 something and you were dating people that I'd ask you about them, you know? And so I was like, why, why would I not treat you the same? So I'd just ask you questions and it didn't take long for us to have some form of relationship building back up. Mm -hmm. We didn't talk a lot about like what was behind everything. I don't think we did. Like I don't think we talked about the period where we didn't talk until you brought it up at like a decade later. No, it was, it was only a few years ago. Yeah, it was, so it wasn't a decade then, but that was like six years. 
was interesting is soon after we started uh, reconnecting, uh, like I realized with your transition into adulthood, that's tough enough as it was. And we also had a lot of crazy stuff going on with our family. And I don't know, I was like, hey, you want to come live with me? And so at this point, I'm still working for the church. Um, I had started a trailer park ministry nearby the church and it was like a community program where we would do tutoring and have food and clothes and stuff for anybody in the neighborhood who needed it and so i was in that trailer park and i was like hey come live with me how did you feel when i asked you to come live with me really excited and petrified Mm -hmm. like obviously this was going to be my first time living away from my home Mm -hmm. um paying rent and having light bills to pay Yeah, and it was good because, like, I needed that because that's Mm -hmm. what I was wanting. It was super nice to just learn how to live. I was starting to see myself thrive. I purchased a car from my sister. We had a job, but it was terrifying because it's still in the back of my mind. Um, This is going to sound weird. God made it clear to me that I was okay, but I didn't believe her. You are false. You are telling me that I am made in your image and why would you make me like this even though I got confirmation and I was still struggling with that I was mm-hmm. very angry it was better but I was still having a hard time with that I wasn't fully okay with just with me mm-hmm. and it took some time sorry there's just so much that I like coming back to me when you were told that you were a mistake and that you were you are put on the same scale of murders and pedophiles mm-hmm. every single day of your life. And that was and, done by family. Yeah. It and, was done by and, family. And chur- in our church, church circles. Like that was if you were gay, then you were also equated with all of these other horrible things. And so and this is the important thing too for, for anyone who's listening is like you don't know. You don't know what your kid is going through until they tell you. Mm-hmm. You really don't. Mm-hmm. So having all of that, going through everything, and then having you back in my life, and I was so petrified that, is this real? Is this not real? Am I going to try to indoctrinate you? Like, yeah. No, no, no. For real. I was a little bit nervous about that because I was like, am I going to have to go to camp? <laughs> am I going to go to camp? I don't want to go to camp. It's like, I come back. My name is Sean. <laughs> How's it going? <laughs> Stop it. I hate when you do that. Heterosexual. <laughs> Please don't do straight chain voice ever again. Um, I won't. I promise. <laughs> so I don't always think too much about what I do. I mean, I, or sometimes I overthink. Like I'm, I'm never like in the middle. Either I think too much or I don't think enough. And I think in that moment, you know, I didn't really think too much about it when I asked you. All I knew was you needed a place to go. You needed a different you need a different hmm. environment to like grow up personally and nothing to do with your orientation you know or your gender like nothing to do with that you just needed a place to grow up so and would uh, that come from love would that come from love well yeah that's what it was oh so like looking i didn't at me through love mm-hmm. kind of made you take that part off mm-hmm. reminding me okay continue <laughs> so i had to put that in the back of my you know put Anything involving, like, the church stuff on the back burner because the most important thing was you were struggling and you needed to – you needed someone to help you get on your feet. Um, and I wanted you to 
be able to learn from what I had to learn because I went through a similar thing. Like we were not, we were not, we were not transitioned well into adulthood in our lives. Chicken chunks. None of us. Yeah. <laughs> he made one of the first times he, one of the first nights he was living there, he made himself some kind of like rice aroni thing. One of the first times cooking and he's sitting down on the couch eating or watching a movie. And I was like, how's your food? And you're like, oh, it's good. The chicken chunks are a little weird. And, and then I was like, oh, okay. And five minutes later, I was like, when did he cook chicken? He and so I was like, Shane, you did you make chicken? He said, no. I said, did, did it have chicken in the box? He said, I don't think so. I was like, I don't think that's chicken. And so he showed me. It wasn't. It was the seasoning. The thing was expired by like three years. And the seasoning wouldn't melt into the food. So he was eating these chunks of seasoning. Like, so this is what I'm talking about. We were not transitioned well into adulthood. None of us were. It's like we were kicked off the ledge. I was homeschooled. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. I didn't want you to learn what I had learned. I wanted you to be able to think for yourself. And I wanted you to be able to make your own decisions. So I made you read some theology books. Um, right? <laughs> yes. The tables have turned. Yeah. And now you've done that to me. <laughs> and, but none of them were, none of them were involving sexuality. They were all involving like, how do you figure out how you view God and how you view people? And how do you put your words together for what you think about things? And I had to go through it too. So yeah. I didn't just have you read it. I would read it too. And we would discuss. Now I will say it was pretty interesting. I didn't, again, I didn't think about this cause I was just trying to help somebody that I care about. But when I told my you know the people i work for that i have my nephew who's gay living with me in this ministry house the looks that i got it's really interesting they're like huh a little (laughs) queer going on yeah yeah, i didn't even think about how that you know how that looked or what they might think so i think they were concerned for me that i I really do. I think they, uh, well, at least I know one for sure was concerned. Like, I think they were worried about it changing my viewpoint, which it did, but <laughs> it ended up being a good thing. Um, but so then I would have to preface it with them like, oh, yes, but we're looking, you know, we're while he's living with me, I'm, you know, making sure we're going through some theology books. Like I had to give guardrails to my conversations with people that I worked yeah. for so that I wouldn't get fired. Because I had someone who was clearly living a life that was different from what was allowed okay. in my home with me. And wow. Yeah, there were some that did not like that. <laughs> some. <laughs> but there were a lot who were actually in support of it who couldn't who also couldn't speak it because everyone was afraid of losing their jobs about it. It's so fascinating. Uh, it really is. So you ended up staying for about a year until you you were able to finally get on your feet and figure out what your next step was going to be. And I got to say, like, those years with you living in the park with me helped change my mind on so many things because I was able to look past everything I was supposed to think Mm -hmm. and just be with you and have you with me, you know, to to not look at you through the lens of what I was told I had to look at you through. Um, And instead, I was able to see you for who you are. And that is what really changed my mind and started to change my mind um, on what I thought. And it's funny. So it's your fault I question everything. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Nope. I like that. I'm sorry. Would you rather this? No. Put it away. (laughs) Yes, queen. (laughs) So I guess I kind of want to end with this, Shane. You you talked about love, Mm -hmm. right? And 
I think love was the most important lesson that I had to learn with us well, when you when you came to live with me. Um, and that was that was the most important lesson that I learned. And like beyond all the things I was taught, beyond everything with the law, the most important thing was that I needed to learn to love. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I had been sold a version of love that wasn't really love. So there's this passage that gets read a lot at weddings um, to the point where it really does make me roll my eyes and laugh sometimes. But it says this. Uh, so you got Paul. And people have their own opinions on Paul. I think there's still a lot we can learn from him, even with the um, the strange things about it. But he, he says this. He says, if I speak in tongues of angels um, and, and I don't have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And he goes on to, to list a lot of spiritual things, you know, a lot of churchy things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, things that show that God is with you, you know, that God's moving through you. And... Um, but then he says this, I, I, if I do that all and I don't have love, I gain nothing. And he says, love is patient, love is kind, love is not envious or boastful or arrogant. It is not rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. And the thing about love is, all of these things, they can only be done in proximity. You can't love someone from afar. You can only love somebody with your presence. For love to be anything, love has to be present. And those months with you staying with me, I think that's why it was so powerful. It wasn't the law. It wasn't what I had been taught. The most powerful thing wasn't even the lessons we learned together. The most powerful thing was that we were present and I was able to be there for you and listen to you. And in the same way you were there to be, you were there for me and yeah. you listened to me. And I mean, I I don't like the dark ages. I can't change our past, but I'm grateful for where we are now. And I don't think we would have gotten there had we not gone through some of the tough stuff um, because we had to learn how to love all over again. Yeah. Whew. Thanks for joining us joining us on this one. I know this one was kind of heavily leaning towards my part of the story and what I went through. Just know I know that. <laughs> and we're and so then the next one we'd like to talk I more about know. you. <laughs> talk about Shane and what his story was like. The responses he got from people. Until next time, I just want to give out my reminder that Papa loves me just as much as he loves you. And that's a trunk full. <laughs> that was ponderful. I feel like Mean Girls, like the stop, make stop trying to make so fetch a thing. <laughs> it's so fetch. We're gonna we're gonna make it. But all right, keep growing, my friends. Bye.